Man, it is good to be together uh, here this morning. Well, as Abby mentioned, we are in a series called God With Us. And as I was preparing for this, uh, this question kept coming to mind for me. Have you ever made a promise that as soon as you said it, you knew you couldn't keep it? You ever done that? Like it's as the words are coming out of your mouth, your your mind is thinking, there's no way that I follow through on this, right? Uh, Toothpaste out of the tube, right? Like there's just no putting it back. So many times I will say, and I will admit as a parent, I have made a promise to my kids and then instantly regretted saying it, right? When my kids were really little, they would beg me to play with them. And on most occasions, I would and I enjoyed it. But there were times that I will admit that the last thing that I wanted to do was play another game of Candyland or go outside and throw a football around for 30 minutes. And sadly, I admit that I didn't always follow through on my promises to my kids. In fact, there were more than a couple of times when my wife, Kristen, would tell me and remind me, you promised them, don't you remember? She was very good at holding me accountable to the promises that I would make. And so I would snap out of it, you know, and I would prioritize what I had promised them, and then we would go do our thing. Now, the worst version of this, though, was when I would promise my kids I wouldn't do something again. Uh-oh, is right, right. Maybe I lost my temper with one of them, or I said something I regretted. Maybe I made them feel shameful or embarrassed with, you know, without thinking. Uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, I, I would do things that were just out of character for me, and I would promise them that I would never do such a thing again. I realize I'm alone in that. You've never done that. I realize that's my only thing. But wouldn't you know it, I would break those promises too. I mean, the truth is, I have failed to keep promises throughout my life, not just to my kids, but to my wife, to my parents, to my friends, to my church. And the good thing is, I know I'm in really good company this morning, because even if we have never met, there is one thing that I know that is true of you and true about myself, that we collectively are promise breakers. We are. And the good news is, you're in a church in good company with a bunch of people who can't keep promises. Yeah? Isn't that exciting good news? Yeah. I mean, listen, I can't even keep promises with myself, right? Like, I made a promise to myself last week that I would hit my workout goal, I would hit my calorie intake, didn't do it on day one, right? Didn't happen on day one. I recently made a promise to myself that I would clean the garage, which was needed for a a long time. And I even told Kristen, I promise I'm going to do this. Kristen, is the garage clean? No, it is not. I made a promise that I would hang a shelf for my son. Evan, is the shelf hung? Where's Evan? Evan, is the shelf hung? No. No, it is not hung, okay? It is not hung. By the way, I realize I am now going to be held accountable by more than 100 people. To clean the garage and hang the shelf. I can't wait. But here's, you know what the worst part of all of this is? My inability to keep promises with God. Yeah, I've been following Jesus since I was eight years old. Eight years old. And when I made that decision 36 years ago, I made a promise to God. I made a promise that I would love him and that I would obey his instructions. 
And you know, time after time after time, I have gone back on that promise. I have strayed, I have disobeyed, I have chosen not to listen, and it is heartbreaking for me to think about sometimes. But here's the thing. I'm here today. I am here today despite my broken promises, despite my unfaithfulness to God throughout the years, God still calls me by name. Despite my inability to keep promises to those I'm closest to, to myself and to God, God still pursues me and loves me and sustains me, which is good news for all of us. Because Christmas is a reminder not of how faithful we can be, but of how faithful God always is and has been. That's what Christmas reminds us of, his everlasting, eternal faithfulness. In fact, I want to show you in the Bible this morning just how faithful God is to us and why Christmas is a pinnacle moment of God's unyielding faithfulness. So if you haven't done so yet, go ahead, grab your phone. You can open up the YouVersion Bible app. Again, great resource for you. You can go to more and events and then follow along with what I'm going to cover this morning. And if you have your paper Bible with you, we're going to be moving around a little bit, so it might be easier on version. but we're actually going to start in the book of Genesis. That's right, Genesis, okay? Not always the common place to start during a Christmas series of messages, but it is appropriate for where we are going today. So the story of Genesis, if you're not aware, very first book of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates. He speaks life into eternity. He speaks life into the universe. He gives birth to animals and plants and water and the stars and the moon. And then in Genesis chapter 2, God, uh, he, he also creates humans. And God begins this loving, intimate relationship, faithful relationship with humanity, namely Adam and Eve. And God gives Adam and Eve free reign in the place that he has put them, in the Garden of Eden, minus eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then in Genesis chapter 3, that's right, Genesis chapter 3, chapter 1, creation, chapter 2, relationship, chapter 3. All hell breaks loose, literally. It took that long. Two chapters. Two chapters is all it took. Eve is deceived by Satan, eats the fruit, convinces Adam to do the same, and in that moment, they both break their promise and their faithfulness to God. Sin enters the world, something that all of humanity will struggle with, until Jesus comes back again. And it not only changes the course of human history, but it also changes humanity's relationship with God. And yet, this is the craziest part. In the midst of Adam and Eve's promise breaking, God says something that points to how faithful he really is, no matter how unfaithful we may be. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God is actually speaking to the serpent. He's speaking to Satan. And immediately after the scene with Adam and Eve eating the fruit, he has this conversation with the serpent. And at the end of his statement, God says these words. Listen carefully to these words. He says, and I will make enemies of you and the woman and of your offspring and her descendant. 
He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. I don't want you to miss this, because within seconds of the very first broken promise between humanity and God, God points to Christmas. In fact, there's this breadcrumb in this passage that leads us through the Old Testament all the way to Christmas. The Hebrew word that is translated in that passage as descendant is the word Zerah. And Zerah is used throughout the Old Testament numerous times, and it is often uh, translated offspring or child. And God is saying, your offspring... And her child, that child is going to bruise your head, Satan. Immediately after Adam and Eve break a promise, God makes a promise. Who does that? When someone breaks a promise in your life, do you immediately turn to them and go, well, I'll just make a new promise with you? Probably not. Immediately after Adam and Eve are unfaithful in their relationship with God, God promises Christmas. You know, this passage is often referred to as proto-evangelium, which means the very first good news. It's the first place where God promises the good news of Jesus coming. But this is actually only the first of numerous times that God promises Christmas. Almost 700 years prior to Jesus' arrival on earth, he gives another promise, Isaiah 9, verse 6. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The descendant of Mary that God speaks of in Genesis chapter 3, this is the same one. The child, the Zerah of God. And by the way, this promise comes on the heels of God's people being unfaithful to him and breaking their promises for centuries. Not for a couple years, for centuries. And now, the Assyrian Empire, the strongest nation in the world, is knocking on the door of Jerusalem to overtake them. Within 200 years, The people of God will be exiled into the Babylonian empire and the temple will be destroyed. And yet into all of that, God reminds his people of his promise. Into the constant unfaithfulness of God's people, God reminds them of the promise that he made in Genesis chapter 3. A child will be born and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of peace, which brings us to the book of Luke. After 400 years of silence from God, which is what happens basically from Malachi to Matthew, there's 400 years of silence. No prophets, no, you know, God intervening, no angels, at least none that we know of or that have been recorded. And after 400 years of that silence, God makes good on the promise he made in Genesis 3, Isaiah 9, and in many other places in the Old Testament. And here's what it says, Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. 
I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. The Zerah that God speaks of in Genesis chapter 3 finally comes in Luke chapter 2. Now, I want to give just a visual of kind of what I'm talking about here, okay? I'm going to bring out my Pictionary skills this morning. Uh, you're going to be wowed by my drawing skills. That's not really true. But I want you to just, I just want to give a visual image of how, how this actually looks if you were to try to put it on paper, okay? So let's say that this point is Genesis, oh, this pen is really thick, chapter 3, okay? And this point is Luke chapter 2. The story of the faithfulness of God's people might look a little something like this. Okay? Are you getting the picture? All right. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. This is kind of what the story of the Old Testament looks like. If you read it from Genesis all the way to Malachi, you're just like, you guys are all over the place. You can't make up your mind. You're so unfaithful. God gives you instruction. You don't do it. He gives you another instruction. You go against it. You're just up and down, left and right. You, I mean, your faithfulness level and meter, it looks like a lie detector test, right? Which is appropriate. But here's what I don't want you to miss. Because while all of this is going on, and the unfaithfulness and the promises broken with God's people are happening, here is God's faithfulness. Nothing changes. Nothing changes. God's faithfulness remains the same. Genesis chapter 3, Isaiah chapter 9, Luke chapter 2. Nothing changes. While God's people are losing their minds and they're making every bad decision and breaking every promise they've ever made, God remains faithful through it all. And that is the story of the scriptures, and that is the story that we're reminded of at Christmas, because here's what Christmas reminds us of. This is why we celebrate it, that in the midst of our unfaithfulness, God is faithful, and nothing changes with him. Now, it's interesting. When I look at that picture, you know what I see? I see my life. That's what my life looks like. Do you see your life on this? My, my life and level of faithfulness, well, it looks a lot like that of God's people in the Old Testament. And yet, through it all, God remains faithful. In fact, it was his faithfulness, not mine, that sustained me through the last 44 years of life. That's what it was. It kept me on the rails, and it allowed me to continue to return back to him when I came to my senses. He was there the whole time, remaining faithful through it all. My guess is that you see your life on this picture too, don't you? It looks a little like this. 
And you could probably even name some of these squiggly lines on here. And you could also probably name the moments in time where God's faithfulness appeared in your life again. You can see it all, can't you? In the book of 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul writes about this. And in it, he is writing to a young leader named Timothy who has been given the task of leading this brand new church. He's young, he's inexperienced, he's not sure if people are going to respect him. And then Paul wants to give this young leader uh, as much instruction and as much encouragement as he possibly can so that Timothy can lead with confidence and be strengthened in his ability to lead this new church. And in chapter 2 of the letter, Paul says something that I think is a statement we could all be encouraged by this morning and is a statement that I think tells this story. In 2 Timothy 2.13, Paul writes, If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. When we're unfaithful, right, when this is our life, we can hold tightly to the promise that God made in Genesis chapter 3, that he will remain faithful. And here's the thing, his faithfulness is not just something that he does. Paul says, this is who he is. And because this is who he is, he cannot go against it. It's not that he will not, because he won't. It's also because he can't. It's who he is. He is faithful even when we're not. His very nature demands his faithfulness. Unfaithfulness is not an option to God like it is to us. Therefore, when God makes a promise, it is always a resounding yes. And it will come to pass. It may not happen in that moment. It may be thousands of years later, but it will come to pass in his timing. And it's not because he has to do it eventually, but because it is at the very core of his character. It is who he is, which means Christmas was less about something God decided to do in human history and instead was actually more of an expression of who he has always been. God coming in human flesh to live among us was an expression of the very nature of who he is. It was a result of him being unable to deny his own faithfulness, to deny his own desperate love for his creation and for humanity. And it was in Jesus that every promise he ever made and every faithful act that was ever achieved became fulfilled. Because Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's faithfulness to all of humanity. It's like God bundled up who he was and is as a faithful God and he placed it in a manger and he said yes to all of my promises. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 1.20. He says, for now, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. When God makes a promise, the answer is always unequivocally yes. It will happen. 
you know, for many of you here today, and I, I heard you agree with me, you know, life looks a lot like this. In fact, your life might be looking like this right now. I get it. You're in good company. You're in a good place. You've had your ups and downs. You've had your good moments and your bad. You've made your good choices. You've made your bad ones. But what you may not have noticed is that while all of that was stirring in you and happening in you, God didn't change. He remained the same. And no matter what you have done or been or who you have become, he's still the same. He still remains faithful through it all. In fact, if you took a moment to just simply reflect on your life, you will see the ways in which God has remained faithful throughout. It doesn't take a lot of imagination to go back in time and realize, oh my goodness, God was so faithful there. And God was so faithful there. And oh man, man, did I make a mess of things. But look at what God did and bring me through that. So many of you could just list item after item after item of ways in which the character of God remained with you, sustained you, strengthened you, brought you out of a dark place because through it all, he was faithful. He was thinking of you in those moments. You know, I believe that for some of you, God's faithfulness has led you to this very moment The Bible indicates that when God made the promise of Jesus in Genesis chapter 3, that he was thinking of you. That he delivered on his promise to send a savior for you. Remember, Jesus didn't come for those who had it all together, you know, who who saw everything the way that God saw it. He, He didn't come for that. He came for the doubter and for the unbeliever. He came for the promise breaker and the unfaithful. Romans 5.8, which is maybe one of my favorite verses in all of scripture, reads like this, but God showed his great love for us. You might also exchange that for his great faithfulness for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That Christ came not when we all of a sudden figured it all out, Not when we all of a sudden got it all together and became the faithful people that God had always been. No, God sent Jesus and brought him in a manger while we were still sinners. While our lives looked a lot like this, God's faithfulness came to earth wrapped in a baby so that all of his promises would be yes to those who place their faith in him. Jesus came for you. This was not just like, a sort of ethereal happening in time where God just sort of showed up for no real good reason. No, he came for you. And I don't know what you have done. I don't know where you've been. I don't know who you've become, but I do know this. According to God's promise at Christmas, none of it matters. None of that matters. He is remaining faithful through all of it. He has kept his promise. He will continue to keep his promise. He came and he lived among us. He lived the life we could never live. He died for us, defeating sin, Satan, and death on the cross. And he rose again three days later, like we just sang at the end of that worship set, to give us the hope of new and eternal life. And he did it because of his faithfulness and his love for you. 
in the midst of our unfaithfulness, God proved who he truly is. He remained faithful. And he proved it in Jesus. And so the invitation to all of us in this room is will we place our faith in the one who is and will always remain faithful in your life? Because I hate to break it to you. We are really good at putting our faith in things that will break their promises. But the one thing that will never break its promise, because he cannot, is God himself. Will you place your faith in the one in which every promise God has ever made is yes? Will you place your faith in the one who came at Christmas to remind you of how faithful he is, has been, and will always be. Let's pray. God, it is humbling to think about how faithful you have been, how faithful you are, how faithful you always will be. I know that all of us in this room are, are taking a moment to reflect on our lives. And it is not difficult. It doesn't take a lot of work to see the ways in which you've been faithful to us throughout. Even when things were difficult, even when circumstances were wrecked, God, we, we can see you there. That when our lives are, they look more like a lie detector test, back.